Thanks for listening to the Faith Church Podcast. We are one church at five locations, streaming online every Sunday morning at live.faithishere.org. We hope that you're challenged and encouraged by today's message. And if you'd like to watch or listen to previous messages, or if you'd like to learn more about who we are as a church and how you can stay connected, head over to faithishere.org. Take your Bibles out and turn, if you would, to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And we'll look in a moment at verse number 12. We're in our series, Breaking Through Strongholds. We have strongholds in our life, these walls, these barriers we set up, strongholds that keep us from doing all that God wants us to do. And uh, the first week, we looked at that stronghold, that battle that takes place in the mind. And we looked at 2 Corinthians chapter 10, that we are to cast down imaginations, bring every thought into captivity, uh, bring down those high things that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. And we talked about how to win the battle in our minds to bring those strongholds down. The, The next week, we talked about offense. And what will happen is the enemy will come and he'll allow these barriers or offenses that we have towards someone else to build up in our life and, and keep us from experiencing the full grace and blessing of God. Because if we can't forgive others, God can't forgive us. And we can't be blessed by God and we can't progress in our faith and our growth in the Lord Jesus Christ. So we talked about forgiveness and letting it go and how we do that. Last week, Pastor Tyler preached, I understand, a masterful message on overcoming that bondage and strongholds of those habitual sins that keep coming up over and over again and how we get victory over those areas of our life. Today we're going to look at a stronghold called comparison, or I should say as your sermon's titled, Comparison, because it is a sin when we compare ourselves with one another. And if we're not careful, that will become also a stronghold in our life. So let's stand together and let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 10 again, only a little bit further down in verse number 12. We do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. We, however, will not boast beyond proper limits. We will confine our boasting to the field to which God has assigned us, a field that is reaching even to you. We are not going too far in our boasting, as would be the case if we had not come to you. For we did not get as far as you without the, with the gospel of Christ. Neither do we go beyond our limits by boasting of work done by others. Our hope is that as your faith continues to grow, our area of activity among you would also greatly expand so that we can preach the gospel to regions beyond you for we know you do not want to, we do not want to boast about work already done in another man's territory. But let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. Wow, seven times he uses the word boast. Boast, boasting, boast about comparisons. We don't compare ourselves one with another. How does that become a stronghold in our life and how can that be broken? Let's pray. Father, we love you so much. We thank you, God, for your presence with us today. We thank you for your word and I pray, God, that it would have its intended work in my heart and life as well as everyone in here today. And and Lord, may we hear what you have to say through your Holy Spirit and, and not just be hearers of the word, but doers also. We thank you, God, for your word, and we give you praise and honor and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn to someone and say, I will not compare myself with you, and then you may 
Be seated. Have you ever had something that you were totally fine with, was completely amazing, and uh, did its job until someone came along and had something new and improved or better? And all of a sudden, what you have isn't so good. You go buy a new car, and you're all excited about it. Maybe it was, uh, it was a few years old. You got a used car, and you bought that car and drove up in it, and someone next to you pulls up in a nice, bigger, shinier car with more whistles and bells and all the safety features, and you say, my car is really not so good after all, or a new house, or your gifts, or your talents, or whatever it may be. We have this terrible knack of comparing ourselves with those around us and what they have to what we have, and, and all those kind of things go on in our mind. You get the latest iPhone or you get an iPhone 7 and this iPhone 7 is so cool it takes great pictures and uh, you can talk on it and text on it and do all that kind of neat stuff that you really need to do to survive in life. And then someone comes along and gets the iPhone 8. Eight, there it is. And it has, it has better picture capability, more megapixels, and, uh, and you know what? It has retina stand, scans. So all you do is flash it in front of your eyes, and it kicks on. It isn't that wonderful. And so I've got to have now, my iPhone 7 is garbage. I now need the iPhone 8. And so we line up and we wait to get the next iPhone or the next invention. Uh, our house is fine until so-and-so gets a bigger house. My, my child, my two-year-old is amazing. He can walk and talk. And then you talk to someone else's about their two-year-old and they can already reading and they are going to potty on the toilet and there's something you really want to see happen in your child's life. It's just not happening, but that kid's pottying already. What's wrong with my kid? Why didn't he, doesn't he get it? Man, you think your husband's okay. He's a nice guy. He's wonderful. And then you get on Facebook. And you read about somebody else's Mrs. Mr. Wonderful and all he did for her and, and all the nice thing. He took her out to eat and got her flowers and did all this stuff. And all of a sudden your wife is saying, why can't you be like that? And we get in this trap of comparing ourselves among ourselves and it leads to inferiority or it leads to boasting. And what was once good enough is no longer good enough. And it's not because anything in our life really changed. It's like it's always been. Nothing's really changed at all. But we compared ourselves with somebody else, and all of a sudden, we don't quite measure up. And it can become a stronghold and rob you of your joy and your contentment and your peace in the Lord. We start out good, and then we begin to compare, and then we never really measure up. And if we're not careful, what happens is not only do we transfer our frustration to the person who's better than us or more gifted than us or has more money than us or whatever the case may be, but we get a little bit angry with God. God, that's not fair. How come he got the good looks? Where was I in this whole process? How come you missed me? Why did, how come they got the great job? How come they got the promotion? How come he has all the money? How come they look, seem and look so blessed? And if we're not careful, we transfer our anger onto the Lord and say, God, you're not fair, right? And all of a sudden, God's not as good as we thought he was. And we begin to feel insignificant or inadequate. And if we're not careful, it leads to depression and either God has forgotten me somewhere along the line or he just made a terrible mistake. And so he's really maybe not a totally good God. It can be a dangerous trap in ministry. 
I, uh, I get the privilege to go to conferences from time to time with other pastors and other ministers, and, and, and it's, it can be a, a subtle trap of the enemy that, that all of a sudden pastors begin to compare their churches. And someone says, you know what, we planted a church with a 1,000 people on that first Sunday, and the whole community come up, and in four years now we have 4,000 people, and God just blessing and doing miracles and healing, and we can't keep them from coming in, and they're flocking through the doors. And, and what we do sometimes as ministers, we want to clap and applaud because it's kingdom stuff, right? And we're excited people are getting saved. But inside we say, God, why not my ministry? Why not our church? Why do we plow and plow and plow and we work so hard in the field and it seems like we get one soul at a time, the disciple, and, and someone else, they just open the doors and thousands of people come rushing in and, we, and, it, and it can happen in the ministry among pastors and preachers so easily and we keep working. It may be with their possessions, it may be with their giftings, it may be with their position, it may be their appearance, but comparison comes in, it will steal your joy, it will steal your confidence, it will even get you out of labor in God's field altogether. Let's look at verse 12 again as we begin to break this down. It says, for we do not compare, classify, or compare ourselves with someone who commends themselves. We're not going to compare ourselves with those who are bragging about their ministry. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. Or to put it in our language, they're dumb. It's stupid. It doesn't, doesn't make sense. All comparisons with somebody else, it's not wise because you're getting out of your lane. You're measuring against the wrong kind of standard. And, and we find ourselves measuring against others because I can compare myself and if I'm a little bit higher up in the level than they are, then I can brag and boast and look at how great I am. And if I'm not there, I get discouraged and down. And the problem is they never talk about comparing themselves against God, which is really the comparison for every single one of us, the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm. Because you compare your struggles with their strengths. You see, we, we look at the lens and we see their highlight reel and we see how great they are. We read their post on Facebook about all the amazing things happening in their life and it's just not happening for me. And you may be going through a struggle or a test or a trial and it seems like for some reason they are being blessed beyond measure and we don't understand that and, and we compare that. And when we, see, uh, when we see that or we, we watch that, it's like watching their highlight reels. It's like ESPN, dun 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 and you see all the made baskets, and you see all the home runs that go over the fence, and you don't see their strikeouts. And because I live with my own struggles every day, and I'm not posting about all my losses and all my failures, I'm just talking about, I'm just not doing that stuff and putting that out there. And so I see my own struggles and my own weaknesses and my own failures, but I see everybody else's victories and I see their wins, and somehow that's not really even a fair comparison. And I come up so short through the lens of our struggles, we will never ever measure up. And we begin to say, life's not fair, it's not fair. So my question today is, how do we break down this stronghold that is so subtle, a trap of the enemy, and it slips in so, uh, just so easily into our hearts and lives? A couple of things. First of all, you gotta starve the measure. You can't not measure yourself. You gotta starve that tendency to wanna measure yourself against somebody else. Now, when Paul talks about this, he's talking about those teachers who would try to draw disciples unto themselves. Paul's ministry came under attack 
because God's using them. He's planting churches everywhere. And there were other teachers who were doing the same thing. And so they would attack the apostle Paul. They attacked his apostleship, his ministry, where he went to. And that was a way that teachers would attract disciples. They would attract disciples by criticizing somebody else. You don't want to go with that guy. You don't want to go over there. You don't want to be with him. You want to be with me. You want to follow me. I've got the real right way to go. And Paul said he would not compare himself to his critics. Notice how they measure themselves against their own measure with each other. They use the word boasting seven times in these few verses. Look at verse number 13. It says there, We, however, will not boast beyond proper limits but we'll confine our boasting to the field in which God has assigned us, a field that reaches even to you. Now, when we compare ourselves, we're attempting to find something, someone that we're better than. Because if I can find somebody out there that I'm better than, that gives me a platform to boast. I may not be great, but I'm better than that guy, right? Got more than that guy. Got a better job than that guy. You can find somebody else out there that's less than you. It gives you a platform for your boasting. But the person who's unconcerned about being noticed or celebrated does not compare. He doesn't need to. He's not concerned about attention. He's not concerned about applause or praise of man. He's not worried about it. So for him, there's no reason to compare about where he's at on the totem pole, where he's at in the spectrum of comparison. He doesn't have to do that. Because being noticed is not a deal with him in his own life. In fact, comparison is really unhealthy competition. It is always about competing or putting yourself up against the other person. And we want to be better and we want to be noticed. And so that's the root of comparison itself, boasting, pride. Comparison is born out of pride. I, I've got a little reputation for being a little competitive, I'm not proud of that, and it's got me into trouble on multiple occasions. Uh, I want to win. I like to win. I hate to lose, and so I'm kind of driven in that way. I, when I was a kid, we would, uh, we'd go out, we'd play. We'd, we'd play sports, all the sports in our neighborhood, and if we didn't have sports to play, we'd make up games. It wasn't a time when kids had your fingers going watching a TV screen. We actually got outside. We did something new, not done quite as much today, but we went outside and we played. And it was the summertime and we had played circle dodgeball. And so you make a circle around and you put a guy in the middle and you cream him with the ball. And that's the idea. And you throw it to one side and they catch it and throw it back on the other side. And if you hit the guy, you get to go in the middle and dodge the ball. And so that's kind of the idea of the game. It really never ends. It just kind of goes on forever. And there's no real winner, just somebody getting creamed in the middle of the circle. The neighbors across the street, his name was Steve Slaughter. It was about junior high time. Steve was one year younger than I was, but the thing that really gnawed at me was he was so much a better athlete. He was faster, he could shoot better, throw the ball better, catch the ball better, do everything better than I could do, but he was one year younger. And everybody in the neighborhood wanted Steve on their team. <laughs> they didn't want Larry, they don't want Larry on their team. In fact, my own brother would rather be, have Steve on his team than me. And because he was faster, we'd throw that ball and it'd go outside the circle. And I would, every time I'd run to get it, Steve would beat me to the ball. And so he's getting to make all the throws. I never get to make, I'm, I'm just watching this thing go. And I never get any of the balls. And one time I really ran hard and I'm about ready to grab the ball. And Steve swooped, swooped in and grabbed the ball before me so he could throw it. And I got so angry and so mad. I grabbed his legs. 
and I wrestled him down to the ground. And I got on top of him and I took my fist. I'm not proud of this. This It's it's a bad example. And I hit him right in the nose. And his nose started bleeding. All the little neighborhood kids just jumped on Larry, the mean guy, and pulled me off of him. And uh, and they took him to the doctor. I broke the guy's nose. And and so my, my, my brother, aren't you thankful for brothers? Mom, mom, guess what dad did? Guess what Larry did? He broke Steve's nose and, and told on me right away. And the neighbors are calling my mom. And anyway, the long story short, I was grounded for two weeks in the middle of the summer in the basement. Uh, it was finished basement. It wasn't like a dungeon or anything. And uh, I had to read this book how to Win Friends and Influence People. Anybody have to read that book? I'm in junior high, I read How to Win Friends and Influence People, plus two missionary books on top of it before I could be released. And it was just one of the worst summers of my life, all because of comparison from me to Steve. And it wasn't so much about it. Steve never did anything against me. He was just better. And it galled me. He never hurt me, never hit me, just better. And that competitive comparison led to all that thing going on. Now, that comparison, competitive stuff goes all the way back to the very first two brothers, a guy by the name of Cain and a guy by the name of Abel. And there they are. They're, they're there. They're offering their sacrifices to God. They're doing what they're supposed to do. And of course, Abel, he's got the animals. He's got the farm thing going. And so he's sacrificing animals and the blood's being spilled and, and, and he's hearing the voice of God. This is really a good sacrifice. And Abel's looking around at his farm and then his, all his plants and all his okra and green beans and corn. And he said, this, you know, I don't know what he had. But anyway, he's looking at his crops and he says, it's not good enough. It's not good enough. He delays in bringing it. I don't know if it's so much about the sacrifice as it was the delay. It says in, in, in time, uh, Cain came to bring his sacrifice. He wasn't given his first fruits. He wasn't given his best. He kind of took his own sweet time about bringing it. Now, they weren't fighting over circle dodgeball, but they got in there, and what happens is they're fighting over the sacrifice. I want you to understand something. Cain did not hate Abel. Cain started out hating Abel's gift. He hated Abel's sacrifice. He hated Abel's gift, and it caused him to ultimately hate Abel. Abel himself, and they're out in the field, and he kills him, and he murders him, and so you see the first murder occurred. Didn't bloody his nose. He actually kills the guy right there in the field, all because of this competitive comparison stuff that goes on. I want to tell you, that sin didn't stop with Cain and Abel. It happens all the time in our lives, in our hearts, in our minds, and it goes on around us, and it will rob you of your joy. It will mess you up. We look at other people's giftings, we look at their talents, we look at their popularity, we look at their stuff, and somehow we can never ever measure up, and what happens is we begin to despise that other person in our hearts. They don't do anything, we just despise them in our hearts. How many people are we offended by or dislike, not because of them, but because of our frustration created by comparison. And here's the trouble with comparison. It doesn't stay on the surface. It takes root in the heart. It creates anger. It creates bitterness towards other people. And ultimately, here's the real danger. It creates a bitterness towards God because ultimately we're not as mad about them because they're gifted and talented and beautiful and wonderful and all those wonderful things. But we're really mad at God because somehow God left us out. 
There's a, there's a story in the Bible, a parable, and we've taught it often, and it's about the parable of the, the landowner, the owner of the house who goes away on a trip, and he gives to his servants, three servants. Notice they all didn't get one talent. Sometimes we all feel like that one talent person. But God gave five to one, two to one, and one to another. Now, a talent represented a sum of money. And so they were told to invest that, take care of that, invest it till I return, and when I come back, we'll see how you did. And so the guy who got five talents, and we use it today to describe God's giftings or God's natural abilities that he's endowed us with, we call that talent. And so you got the five talent dude, and he gets it and he goes out and he makes five more. And the two talent guy goes out and he gets two more talents. But the one talent guy, the Bible says, went out and buried his talent. So we've heard sermons all our life about don't bury your talent, use your gifts for the glory of God. But you ever thought why he buried his talent in the ground? I think he may have looked at the guy who got five talents and said, wait a minute, God, how come he got five? How come he's so blessed? How come he's so awesome? How come he got all this stuff and I just got one little no good talent? You know what, God, if if you're gonna treat him like that, I'm burying my talent. I'm not investing it for your glory. I'm not using my gift for you. I'm just gonna bury it right there in the ground. And I think the motivation was all about comparison because they all knew what was given out. But somehow one guy got one. And as a result, he buries it in the ground and is not used. If we're not the five-talent guy, we begin to feel inferior. We begin to feel that way about God as well. And so we boast. So we take one of two approaches. I boast to brag about what I am good at or what I do think I'm good at and we brag about my field or what I've done or whatever the case may be or I criticize someone else. And by the way, I found a quotation to criticize someone else is an evil way to boast about yourself. So you're either gonna lift yourself up to that level by boasting and doing a lot of talking, trash talking, whatever the case may be, or you're gonna criticize someone else and try to bring them down to your level, but all such comparison, he says, is not wise. It's dumb. Because you look at others and often you don't see the sacrifice they made to get there. So we look at somebody else who seems blessed, who's prospering, who, who is doing amazing things, and, and we see their highlight reels, but we don't see all the sacrifices, the time to get to where they're at today, to get on the level or the plane that they're at today. And what's happening is we're looking at their finished product when often along the way we're just starting in our journey and we're at our beginning and they're at their end and then we get discouraged and want to give up and toss it all in. We compare their end with our beginning. And the reality is, God's not finished with us yet. And the reality is, he's not finished with any of us yet. We're not there yet. None of us have arrived. We're all in a journey. We're all in a process of growing in Christ Jesus. And some are further along the journey than others, but nobody has arrived. He says all such comparisons are evil. Our spiritual life, our ministry, our family, our estate, we are all at different levels, which means this. It makes my difference a way for me to make a different difference because I am different, because I am uniquely designed by God to do what God has called me to do, to labor in my field, to labor in my vineyard because God has uniquely designed me for that and I'm not comparing it with anybody else's journey along the way. Because of that, it it, it just keeps me in that, it, it, 
it, I know that God is with me and I know that God's not finished with me and he will bring me through and enables me to make a difference where God has planted me. We can't dwell on the, in the land of comparison. It is not wise. We've got to tear down all measuring of other people and begin to see ourselves how God views us, not how other views us or how we view ourselves. And run in the lane God's called us to run in. The word for measure was actually a rule. It's the word canon in the Greek language. We get our word canon of scripture from that. You don't hear that word much, but it, it meant rule, or it's where we get our rule ruler from, or rule of law, or rules that govern a game. It keeps us in a straight lane and a straight way to go. It was actually a reed they would use to measure out. It was straight, and so they could measure with this reed. They would use reeds to, to measure the distances, but it also refers to the lanes in which we run in. And so he says, Paul says, I'll run in my lane, I thank God that he's used me to reach you Corinthians and I hope to get further out in my journeys but I won't build on someone else's work or labor so that I might boast unnecessarily. He says, I'll stay in the lane that God has called me to run and then fulfill the unique plan that God has for my life. Some of you guys need to get off Facebook. You're, all, you're hooked on it. You watch it morning, noon, or night, and you read about everybody else's post and tweet and everything else, and if you're not careful, that comparison begins to rise up inside of you because you're watching their highlights and you're looking at your own strength or your own place on the spiritual journey. But the second thing you need to do, and I believe this is the key to tearing this stronghold down, if you'll get this, release a thankful spirit. Have a spirit of thankfulness for what God has done for you, for what he has gifted you with, for how he has blessed you, for how he has saved you and kept his hand on you. Thank the Lord. Verses 16 and 17 in the message translation go this way. If you want to claim credit, claim it for God. What you say about yourself means nothing in God's work. It's what God says about you that makes a difference. The key phrase is, the credit goes to God because it's all God's work, it's God's field, and so when we're comparing ourselves with one another, we're trying to create a platform which we can boast from, but when I compare myself to God's standard, I realize how slow I am compared to his standard, so all I can do is brag about God. God, you're awesome, you're great, you're wonderful, you're amazing, you're a good, good God, you're a good, good Father, and so I will give you the credit, I'll give you the glory and honor because it all goes back to him. It's always been and always will be him. Another way to say it is a spirit of thankfulness for what God has done. It's in our thankfulness we will find our contentment because I'm thankful the way God has blessed and used and moved in my life and so therefore I'm content in who I am in Christ Jesus. I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter three. Look at verse number five. The, uh, the Corinthians were comparing ministries. And they were saying, well, Peter's the main man. He was the apostle. He founded all the churches. He's like, uh, you know, he's like the rock, and you know, we love Peter. And, and then some were saying, well, Paul's our man because Paul came to Corinth and he started the church, and he's an apostle to the Gentiles, and we love Paul. Others were saying Paul, Apollos was really the bomb because he was an amazing teacher. He was so wise. He, he just, he's just working in this church, and God's doing an amazing thing now. And I, I'm an Apollos guy, and that's the guy I follow. And he talks about division and schism. He says they were talking about how spiritual the Corinthians were because of their use in the gifts, but he says, you're not spiritual, you're carnal because you're comparing yourselves with each other and you're divided in the body of Christ. 
So now he writes them, and I want you to pick it up with verse number five. He really gives a good explanation here. What, after all, is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned each to his task. In other words, he gave a Paul a lane to run in, Apollos a lane to run in, and they ran in their lane, and they did their task as servants of God. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. Everybody say, but God. God made it grow. It's God's field. It's God's growth. He's the one who gives life. He's the one who saves. He's the one who makes things grow. We're just simply servants who get to serve in his field. Let me keep reading. I planted the seed of Paul's water, but God made it grow. So neither is he who plants nor he who waters anything. Wow. But only God who makes things grow. The man who plants and the man who waters have one purpose, and each will be rewarded according to his own labor. Paul would receive his reward according to his labor. Apollos would receive his award according to his labor. It wasn't wasn't each other's business. They ran in the lane God called them to run in. They wouldn't compare themselves. Paul refused to get on the level with his critics and begin to compare himself. So we had different functions, different roles, and God used us in his field. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. In other words, the whole field belongs to God. We just get the privilege of working alongside of him. No one can brag or boast in themselves. When we look at what he's done and everything that comes from him, then all we can do is respond with thanksgiving. God, you've been good. God, you bless me. God, you allow me to serve you. God, you give me life and health and strength. God, you take care of me. God, you've forgiven me. And on and on it goes. Comparison is always about lack because you will always find somebody who seems to have more. Thankfulness is I see what God has done. I'm not looking to others. And there I find joy and contentment. Thankfulness also leads to trust. Because when I begin to thank God for all he's done in the past, I can also trust him with my future. And I know if God saved me and kept me and blessed me and been with me, he'll also take care of me tomorrow and the next day and the next day because he's with me. He's not going to bail out on me. He loves me so much. I am his child. He will take care of me. I can trust him with my future because I've seen what he's done in the past. He's given me everything I need to work in his field. He's given me everything to run in the lane that he's called me to run in. Psalm 23, verse 4. Great, great psalm. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil because you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And so what is he saying there? Even when I can't see clearly, even when it's dark all around me, even when I'm going through a trial or test, I can still trust in God. How can I trust? Because I've been thanking him all along the way for all he's done for me. And because I've thanked him all along the way because all he's done for me, I can trust him with my future and my present right now. Why? Because he's got a rod, he's got a staff, he's keeping his hand on me, he's with me, He's protecting me. He's he's preparing a table before me, even in the presence of my accusers or my enemies. Uh, God is just good, good to me all the time, and he's not bailing on me now. Leads to trust, thanksgiving. God has got you. God has got you in his hands, and God is a good, good God. Instead of comparing or complaining about what you don't have, thank God for what you do have. And it will begin to break that stronghold down in your life that is so insinuous and subtle. 
I want to close with one scripture, and it's, it's Romans 8 and verse 32. Just listen very carefully. He who did not spare his own son, didn't spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will, we, how will he not also, along with him, along with Jesus, graciously give us how much? All things. You, you see Paul's logic? This is part of that Romans chapter eight. What shall separate us from the love of God? Neither death, nor life, nor persecution, nor trials, nor any, anything created, nor anything in heaven or earth. Nothing will be able to separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. But right in the middle of that, he, he just says, if God would send his only begotten son to die on the cross for us, if God is that good and God loves you that much to give his son for us, won't he take care of everything else? If he's able to take care of the very biggest thing in our life, to transform us from darkness into light, to take every sin away I've ever done, to adopt me into his glorious family, if he did that through his son, Christ Jesus, can he take care of your bacon and eggs tomorrow morning? Can he take care of the clothes you're gonna wear? Can he take care of your house and your car? Won't he get you where you need to go? You may not have the same car as your next door neighbor. Who cares? God's a good, good God. God loves you. He'll give you what you need. He'll take care of you. Thank God for what he's done. Comparison leads to whining and complaining and grumbling and gets our eyes off of the task and the field that God has called us to work in. And Paul says, I refuse to do that. I refuse to compare my ministry with anybody else's. I'm simply doing with what God has called me to do because the bottom line is we are accountable to God and God alone, not my next door neighbor, not someone else in the church, not someone else doing this or that. I'm accountable to God for what he calls me to do. So how do we break it? We praise God. We thank God. I didn't have time to go into all of it, but, but it, it says in Psalms, I think it's 148 or 149, that, that, that your, the praises of your mouth are a two-edged sword in the hand of God. And we're talking about breaking, it'll break the chains of bondage in your life. And so when you begin to praise God and thank God and worship him, this stronghold will come down and particularly, and a lot of other strongholds will begin to come down in your life as we begin to glorify and praise God for all he's done. Hallelujah. Listen, if you don't know Jesus Christ today, you, all you gotta do is say, God, I need you. Come into my life. He freely gave up his own son for you. He's already done that. I just read it to you. you say, God, I believe in you. I believe you died for me. I want you to forgive me. I want you to save me. Come into my life. You pray a simple prayer like that, the Lord will come in and give you a brand new life in him. You can do that today. Thanks for listening to the Faith Church Podcast. We are one church at five locations, streaming online every Sunday morning at live.faithishere.org. We hope that you're challenged and encouraged by today's message. And if you'd like to watch or listen to previous messages, or if you'd like to learn more about who we are as a church and how you can stay connected, head over to faithishere.org.